John 21. Hold on one sec. Or you certainly can use the uh, scripture that is printed in the bulletin. Uh, there on page 6, we're looking at John 21, 15 through 19. And next week, we're going to begin a series in the, go- uh, not the gospel, but in First Peter. And so, because we're in this in-between, I don't like to start new series on uh, Labor Day weekend. And we're sort of in-between where we were with mission and vision. I did sort of want to prepare us uh, for First Peter in, in a way, in a sense. Uh, look at some something from Peter's life. Uh, look at how he failed, but more importantly, how he was redeemed by Christ. So we'll use this section in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, 15 through 19, as our jumping off point. So let me read this for us. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time together in this sanctuary. And we pray as we hear your word that you would speak uh, through me, your servant, and that you would open our ears and our minds and our hearts that we might receive, that your light would shine upon us, and and in particular, shine where we need it. Lord, we thank you that you do not leave us alone, but you've given us your word, and you've given us the spirit as a gift, and you've given us one another, and so here we are. Lord, we thank you for all of these things, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Brownlow North, a man whose sins crucified the Son of God. Brownlow North wrote that in the front of a New Testament that he began using on January 1st, the year it was 1855. He had spent the first 40 years of his life or so living a privileged existence and being quite reckless in that existence. But then he decided he should enter the ministry. And as he began to go to this church to begin to say that he wanted to be a pastor to preach, there was a letter that was sent that detailed his many sins. And he shrunk back from going to that church. And sometime later, he was converted, genuinely converted, and he still felt this desire to preach. And so he went 
to this church to preach. And before, once again, there was a letter that detailed all of his sins and denounced him as such a vile sinner. Brownlow North took that letter and he took it to the front of the church and he read it to the congregation. And he said, it is a correct picture of the vile sinner I once was. And oh, how wonderful must be the grace that could quicken and raise me up from such a death and trespass and sins and make me what I appear before you tonight. A vessel of mercy, one who knows that all his past sins have been cleansed away through the atoning blood of the Lamb of God. He would go on to become a great evangelist in Scotland. And many were converted to Christ under his ministry and his preaching. And Paul Miller writes, who shared this story, Perhaps you don't drift the way I do. But I constantly forget the deep hole of of depravity from which the Lord's mighty love rescued me. But North kept the memory line open to what he once was all the days of his life. This recollection was not at all crippling. His mourning over his sins, both past and present, enabled him to keep climbing down from his pedestal and walking with humble fear and trembling before the Lord and before people. It's a wonderful picture of what the Lord's work can do in our lives. And the same is true of Peter. He did an amazing work in Peter's life. And we want to look at an aspect of that. And my theme this morning is that the risen Christ redeems us from our failures and calls us to new life in him. So the risen Christ redeems us, rescues us, pulls us up from our failures and our sin and calls us to a new life in him. And and for us, that means following him. That will look different for each one of us. But as we are redeemed, as we are raised up, By the resurrected Christ, we're given this new life. We're called to follow him and follow where he leads. So I want to talk about two things this morning. Peter's fall and Christ's call. Now, first is fall, and we'll look at some other passages. But I want to talk about Peter's boasting and his brokenness. I had this roommate in college, Stephen. We lived together for a couple years. First year was was he and I and a couple other guys. And then we were able to move into my pastor's basement. And that's where Lydia and I lived when we first got married. And so it was just two of us sharing this little basement apartment. And Stephen, he had a way of saying things just out loud that wasn't always helpful. And one time he said something particularly offensive, and thankfully I don't remember exactly what it was. But I say that it was particularly offensive because it was enough that I needed to call him out on it. I needed to say, Stephen, that was wrong. Something along those lines. And his response was, did I say that out loud? Yes, Stephen, you did. You did say that out loud. And I wonder if Peter felt like that at times. Right? We love Peter. We love him for his boldness. We love him for his brashness. We love him because, well, he's a failure like we are. But I wonder if sometimes he didn't, after saying something, say, did I say that out loud? Yeah, Peter, you did. You surely did. He was bold and impetuous. And sometimes he was very, very right. 
and sometimes he was very, very wrong. You know, it doesn't get much worse than being called Satan by Jesus. You may recall that from Matthew 16. Jesus says, after Peter opens his mouth, get behind me, Satan. And Peter had made another bold proclamation one evening and one that he would come to regret because this was no ordinary evening. It was the night on which Jesus was betrayed. It was the night in which he had taken the disciples and gathered them for the Passover, which he transforms. And he begins to prepare them for his death and his uh, his not being with them. And Jesus had given the disciples a new commandment to love one another in chapter 13 of the Gospel of John. And then at the end of chapter 13, we hear this. Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Three times Peter would deny Jesus. And Matthew 26 that records his bold proclamation. It's in some ways it's even worse because he makes this comparison uh, to the other disciples where in Matthew 26 verse 35 he says even if I must die with you I will not deny you. And all the other disciples said the same. That's the worst kind of leader isn't it? A leader who leads you in being wrong, right? They're like, we won't deny you. And Jesus is saying, oh, how you do not know your own hearts. And so that's Peter's boasting, which then we see his brokenness and his fall is set up by that boasting, isn't it? But it's just the beginning. And I, I, as, as I was preparing this week and looking at this, I, I remember that all four Gospels, contain Peter's three denials. Uh, now the gospel of Mark, Mark doesn't doesn't think you need to hear about the baptism or the sorry, not the baptism, but the birth of Jesus. There are no birth narratives in the gospel of Mark. He just jumps right in. That's Mark's style. So he leaves that out, but he makes sure that Peter's denial is in there. It's amazing all four gospels. How would you like for maybe one of your biggest mistakes, I don't know if we could call it his biggest, but one of your biggest mistakes to be captured for the world to see and follow for millennia. It'd be humbling, wouldn't it? You might feel ashamed unless, unless Jesus is there. And we'll, we'll come to that in a minute, but we get John, uh, Peter's denials in the Gospel of John in chapter 18, but it's in the Gospel of Luke in particular that Peter's fall is seen in its completeness and its resulting brokenness that follows. Jesus has been arrested, and Peter's denials keep on building and building until we get to the final and third denial. And, and Peter's just, just about cursing at this point. He's so vehement in Luke 22, but Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. So that's the third denial. And the Lord, we hear in verse 61, turned and looked at Peter. 
So Peter was close enough to be near enough for Jesus to look at him in that moment. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. As soon as those words were out of his mouth, immediately the rooster crowed. And in early church history, the rooster has been a symbol of weakness, but also God's grace. Some of the roosters you will see holding a cross, clinging to a cross. Also, a reminder to be watchful over our own hearts. So Peter's nearby. He wanted to be near to Jesus, maybe. I'm just guessing. But he couldn't quite find it within himself to acknowledge Jesus in that moment. But let's say that broken people are often conflicted in their brokenness. But Jesus looks at Peter in that moment. And I think the way that we think about what Jesus' facial expression is says a lot about how we view our relationship with Jesus. Was Jesus scowling at Peter? Like, I told you so? Or was he looking with compassion and forgiveness for one he he loved and would die for, whose sins he would die for? I think it's that, in that, that look, that word usually, commentator notes, signifies a look of interest, of love or concern. That's how Jesus was looking at Peter. Robert Murray McShane says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah seventeen nine. Learn much of the Lord Jesus for every look at yourself. Take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty and yet such meekness and grace and all for sinners, even the chief. Love, live much in the smiles of God. Bask in His beams. Feel His all-seeing eyes settled on you in love and repose in His almighty arms. That's how Jesus was looking at Peter and Peter needed to see Jesus in that time, in that moment. And Peter remembered then what Jesus had said to the, about His denials, that they would come. But remember also that Jesus said something else. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And it may seem like his faith has failed at this moment. And then Jesus goes on to say, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. There's this honesty. You are going to be tempted. You are going to be tried. But I am with you. And when you are restored, when you are redeemed, turn and strengthen your brothers. And that becomes Peter's theme. That becomes his story. But before you get there, verse 62 in Luke 22 presents something of a, a sad scene. After those denials, after the rooster crows, after the look of Jesus, it says, and he went out and wept bitterly. That's why I say broken. Uh, Maybe you could just say uh, his fall was a bitter one. But we see it complete now. And it's a reminder that sin is bitter. Well, we don't know exactly what Peter was thinking or feeling after that third denial. We have an idea. We have a, a clue. 
And maybe he feels like one of the biggest failures in the world in that moment. Earlier this week, and I, I have to confess, I've not had a great week emotionally and have struggled with my own thoughts and feelings. And <laughs> I went after visiting the McDonald's. I, I needed something to eat. And for whatever reason, Burger King's right down the road. It sounded good. And I saw on their placard, and you've probably seen their ads, but it says, You rule. And then I pull in to make an order in the drive-thru, and it's like, welcome to Burger King, where you rule. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you know what? Let me just tell you, Jesus rules, and I'm far from it. That's the last thing my sinful heart needs to hear. The last thing I need to be buffeted up by with a sense of, like, you got it, you rule. It's all about you. Where instead we need humility and confession and repentance. And there doesn't seem to be much of a place in this world for those things often. Because humility and confession and repentance are seen as weakness. A weakness to be overcome rather than a way of life to be lived. They don't really fit into a place where you rule. And honestly, it was sort of a sad scene. Me sitting there in the parking lot eating my burger, thinking my sad thoughts. It was so far from that. But those realities of humility can lead us to Christ. A confession of our sin, a willingness to turn and to repent can lead us to Christ. And there Christ is. He comes to us as well. He doesn't leave Peter alone in his brokenness, and he doesn't leave us alone. Instead, we see Christ's call to Peter, and it's a call to restoration. It's a call to responsibility. It's a call to relationship. The restoration comes at the end of chapter 21, which the passage that we read before that, Peter and some of the other disciples are out fishing. The resurrection has already taken place. But he was out fishing, which is what Peter was. He was a fisherman, so maybe he was doing something that felt familiar or comfortable. uh, Something he could just get lost in. But we also see that when Jesus is standing on the shoreline, Peter's enthusiastic when he recognizes the Lord on on the shore. And he jumps in and swims to Jesus. And there Jesus has a meal set in place for them. And there's this little detail in this passage that Jesus has set a charcoal fire. Well, that's exactly what Peter was around when he denied Jesus. I think it's just a little clue about what Jesus is doing. And it's the beginning of Peter's restoration. It starts with the presence of his Savior around a meal, which then will follow a painful conversation. Maybe there's something to be had there You know, always eat first before you're going to have a painful conversation. You'll handle it better. I don't know. That seems practical. But here's one that makes Christ's love and strength central. This conversation, not Peter's. Christ's call of restoration starts simply with a question, then a second, then a third. Three questions for three denials. Three questions and three affirmations. And what's a little bit lost in our, our English translations is that Jesus, the first two times when he asked Peter, do you love 
the first one was, do you love me more than these? And the second one, do you love me? Jesus is using the word agape, or agape, uh, the word that we know as the sacrificial love of Jesus. So agape is that love when Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you would love one another just as I have loved you, right? It's that kind of love. That's the question that Jesus asked. But Peter responds not with agape, but with phileo, uh, where we get the sense of brotherly love, companion love, uh, a, a devoted love, a warm love, but it's a little bit different. And so he says, as he responds, yes, Jesus, I love you, but he can't quite say, I love you like you love me. I'm not, it's not possible. And so the third time when Jesus asks, do you love me? Peter was grieved because Jesus changes it. Do you phileo, do you love me that way? As Peter has already said, I love you like that. And indeed, he responds, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And one commentator says, in each case, he answered Christ's question by affirming his love and saying, then saying, you know that I love you. He might have said, as I know my own heart, I swear that I love you. But Peter had said something like that once, and he had been dead wrong. Obviously, there could be no confidence in his self-knowledge. What confidence there could be would have to be in Christ's knowledge of him, warts and all. So that's the restoration that Jesus is calling Peter into. And for every question, there's an opportunity, there's a responsibility that comes. Jesus answers, or asks the question, and Peter answers, and then there's a command for Peter to take responsibility. He gives Peter three commands after each question. Do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you, but not like that. I can't do it. But then Jesus gives him a call to responsibility, particularly responsibility in his church. And previously, Peter had made his life, even his discipleship, largely about himself. And so then it's appropriate that Jesus would call him to a leadership that is focused outward for the sake of others. So he says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. You know, this is an amazing responsibility and cannot be carried out in Peter's own strength. It is too large for Peter alone. His responsibility to shepherd the people of God, something that ultimately can only successfully be done by following the good shepherd. Not by Peter's own will or his strength or his intelligence or his quick wittedness. It must be Christ. And then finally, there's a reminder of the place of Peter's relationship with Christ. At the beginning of the Gospel of John, Jesus calls his disciples and he begins to gather them. And to Philip, he simply says, follow me. And here in this passage, we see that sort of call repeated. In verses 18 and 19, there's something else there. Uh, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted 
But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And there's a parenthetical that John gives us this that he said to show us what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, said to him, follow me. Jesus is showing Peter that it is not about him doing his own thing. Or even being in control of what happens in his life. He must follow Jesus. And it does seem that Peter is still learning. Because as you get to the next section, uh, there's something said about John. And Peter wants to know about John. And in verse 22, Jesus rebukes Peter again. So he's still learning. And he said to him, if it is my will that he will remain until I come, what it is, is it that to you, you follow me. That's what Peter must do. He must follow Jesus. It is the risen Christ who redeems us from our failures and calls us to new life in him. And that's exactly what he has done with Peter. Now, the point's not that we should all minister like Peter. We can't. It's not, we're not all called to the same ministry. The point is that when the Lord restores us, when he redeems us, when he becomes our predominant story, not our brokenness, then we are led. We are led into this new life and the new life that he has given to us. And so our humility and our wonder at how much God has done for us And how he's restored the broken things in our lives, healed the wounded things, forgiven the sinful things, becomes the primary story of your life. Henry Nouwen says in his book, In the Name of Jesus, we are not the healers. We are not the reconcilers. We are not the givers of life. We are sinful, broken, vulnerable people who need as anyone we care for. The mystery of ministry is that we have been chosen to make our own limited and very conditional love the gateway for the unlimited and unconditional love of God. And that's true for each one of you where the Lord has placed you and called you into new life. And we do not have to look far to determine if Peter took on uh, this kind of leadership that Jesus called him to. Uh, that he was leading from his humility, from the strength of Christ, from the dirt of his sin. He leads, he gets up, and he follows Christ. And in Acts 2, we see him proclaiming the gospel of God's grace in Christ boldly and without regard for his own life. There are no hesitations. There are no denials. For his strength was his Savior, not his own. And so there's this great boldness, not boasting. There was brokenness, but it was Christ who had restored him and given him life. And we'll see it at the end of 1 Peter chapter 5. We won't get there for a little while, but he writes, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as the partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Remember what Jesus had given him as a responsibility. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Feed my lambs. That responsibility he fulfills. As Christ has led him to it. And he, at the end of that section, uh, this seems 
very appropriate for Peter, but for all of us. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Remember that look that Jesus gave Peter after the denial? It's that. Because he cares for you. You can turn to him. And remember, Jesus said, you're going to go, you're going to be taken and led, and you're going to not be able to feed yourself or dress yourself. You're not going to be in control. And John tells us that was to indicate what kind of death he was going to die. And the tradition is that Peter would die a martyr's death, just as almost all of the other apostles And Peter, in maybe typical Peter fashion, would not allow himself to be crucified as Jesus had been, but instead, at his request, was crucified with his head downward. He would indeed die for his Savior. But only before he understood how much his Savior's death meant for him. Join me in prayer. Father, would you uh, work in us what is pleasing in your sight? And Lord, we pray that as we've heard your word and as we've considered what you've done in Peter's life, Lord, let us rejoice uh, for who you are, the kind of God that you are. Your mercy and kindness would be upon us that even when we stumble and fall, when we boast and are broken, you look and you see us. And you have gone to the cross for us. Lord, indeed, help us to humble ourselves before you. That you might exalt us at the right time. And that we might cast our cares, our anxieties upon you. Knowing that you care for us. We pray this in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.